all in all. And thank the Lord for him invading our lives. Well, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for all the privileges of being in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. And we thank you for your tremendous grace towards us. Thank you also for your work in us and to us and through us. Thank you for the pastors that have gathered here tonight and for the congregations that have blended themselves together in worship. And thank you for the pure worship that's coming forth from this place. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you'll let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Would you take the thoughts, the impressions, the dreams, the visions you've given unto me, form them into pure words that will minister life unto your people. And Father, we thank you that you will give my mind the ability to take spiritual truth and articulate it in a clear way that your people might be built up. Uh, Father, would you save anyone that's lost as you have done over these nights and reclaim anyone that's backslidden and then add to the church those who would be saved and add it to the church that your name might be glorified is our prayer. And then, Father, do a work to us, do a work in us, and then do a work through us. And at the end of the day, we know you'll be glorified, that the church will be edified, and that the devil will be terrified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen in Jesus' name. Well, while you're standing, could you take your Bible or your digital instrument and hold it up and make this declaration after me. Say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I could be. I can do what it says I could do. I can have what it says I could have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. Amen. We do honor the Lord for everything that he has spoken and said and accomplished in the midst of us. He indeed is the mighty God. Tonight our journey has taken us to the book of Malachi, and we have come now to chapter 2 and verse number 17 in our journey. We've been looking at making sure that our worship has not turned into a ritual, but we have moved from ritual to reality. We have looked at the statement in Malachi 1.1 that God says, I have loved you. Otherwise, you would have been as Edom and you would have been consumed. And then he goes on to say, But where is my honor in chapter one? Because honoring God is the appropriate response to his love. One of the ways that we honor him is to obey him. But God says, not only do I want your obedience, but I want pure worship to come out of you. And it seems that this group had come out of 70 years of Babylonian captivity and had gone back to their old ways of doing things. I believe that God wants us, want us to maintain current credibility with him. 
And he wants us to maintain a current living, loving relationship with him. And we honor the Lord for that because it's so easy to slip into ritual with the Lord. The Lord then goes on and says, the way that you have dishonored me is by bringing me leftovers. You give your governor and your work uh, masters all of your labor and your best. But then they were bringing in that which was lame, that which was blind, that which was crippled to worship with the Lord. And I believe that the Lord calls this church back to bring in him the best of our worship, the best of our of our energy, the best of our service and the best of all that we have. He then goes on to say that this group had dishonored him when they were unmarried. And last night we spoke a word out of Malachi chapter two to those that are unmarried and those that are married and to unmarried people. He said, you are dishonoring me by violating my covenant and that you're marrying foreigners and aliens. And friends, you don't want to give yourself if you're unmarried to an alien and a foreigner. And God wasn't so much talking about people from a different country as much as he said, I don't want you yoked together with people that will cause your heart to be drawn away to other gods and cause your practices to be drawn away to unbiblical, unethical, unscriptural, and unholy practices. He rebukes a group of people. And he, we looked at Mount, uh, Nehemiah briefly where he said, listen, when they married the sons of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, their kids could speak half the tongue of Ashdod, Moab, and Ammon, but they could not speak the tongue of Judah. And in Nehemiah 13, when we intermarry, we must raise the question, why do our kids know all of the hip-hop and popular songs, but they can't quote one Bible scripture? And that's because we have had mixture that's come into our life. He then comes to the married people last night, and he says, part of our pure worship to him is to maintain covenant in our marriages. And he starts talking about how people are just putting away their spouse. And we live in an America. And I said last night that homosexuality is not the biggest problem in America. The fact that we are covenant breakers is the biggest problem in America. We marry. God says in Malachi, I'm a witness together with you and the wife of your youth. And we put away our wives. We put away our husbands. We don't seem like we have the grit and the tenacity to work our way through things. And to stay in the covenant that God has called us to. We're not ignorant of the fact that sometimes the triple A's are involved there. That there is abuse. There is abandonment. There is repeated unrepentant adultery. But friends, just putting away our spouses for any reason and violating covenant. He ends by saying that God hates divorce. And he said, I put you together as one so I can bring forth godly seed. And God's answer to the earth's dilemmas is still to bring forth godly seed in the earth. So last night, God was an equal opportunity offender. Whether you're married and whether you're single, God came after us last night and said, let's not deal. And he uses the word three times treacherously with the wife of our youth. We now come to Malachi chapter two and verse number 13 and Here the Lord speaks again and he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. You know that sometimes we can make God tired. Have you ever heard parents say, I'm tired of you. Here's a father God saying, man, you are wearing me out. He says, you have wearied me. What figurative language with your words. 
Yet you say, in what ways have we wearied you? In that you say that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Lord and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way of the Lord before me, the way before me. And the Lord whom I, who you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who shall endure the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire, like a lauder's soap. He will set in a refiner and, and, and set as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and as silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then the offerings of Judah and of Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near you for judgment and I will be swift, a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, those who exploit wages, earners, and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they did not fear the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances have not and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way have shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say. In what ways have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now. In this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor the vine fail to bear fruit for you. In the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed and you will be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
It's kind of interesting as we look at this text now. God is saying you are weary men. One of the ways that the people were wearying God because God had a covenant. They had gone into 70, cap, 70 years of captivity. But when they had come out, though they were drawing near to God with their practices, they were still saying, God, you ain't fair. You're really not fair. It seems like when we went into captivity, God, you took the northern kingdom into captivity to the Assyrians and, and they were nastier than we are. They were so nasty, God, that you even destroyed them later on and you didn't destroy us and God, it wasn't fair. Then you brought the southern kingdom into Babylonian captivity and they worshiped false gods. And they were living at a time where it seemed like the wicked were prospering and the righteous were not. And they begin to say to God, where is your justice? When are you going to make this right? And sometime even in the 21st century, when we look around, sometimes we see people that don't even name the name of God prospering, being able to accomplish things. I mean, any church who's ever gone through a building or a renovation process, look at how slow that process is. And sometimes we can look at unrighteous people and they buy land, make plans, build their buildings, don't even give God no glory and they get their stuff done. And we over here fasting and praying and fighting devils and demons and just can't get it done. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you want to look up to heaven and say, God, this ain't right. Well, at least I do sometimes. I read a couple of books a few years ago and you can look them up uh, on some of your book search uh, places that, that you may shop. And, and they were called Arguing with God, the great Jewish tradition. And the Jews were known for arguing with God. Now, that was that was a paradox to me, because when I was in the Baptist church, we were taught you don't even question God. Let, and let alone argue with God. And so when I read these books about arguing with God, it talked about one of the. A great Jewish traditions was that people inquired of God. And, and, and I used to think that you didn't even question God until I read Jesus from the cross. And even the son of God in the middle of his pain said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I found out that God, you can pour out your complaint to him. But friends, we should always remember that he is holy. He is just and he is right. And here there's a group that's looking around and they are charged with wearying with speech against God because they thought that God is not just. They murmured against God because he did not hear and answer their prayer and their call immediately. And sometimes we think that God is just taking too long. When I was coming up as a child, the male chorus in our church used to sing, you can't hurry God. No, you just have to wait. You have to trust him and give him time, child, no matter how long it takes. He's a God you can't hurry. He'll be there, don't you worry. Then the last line I always reflected on, he may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. And God's timing is not our timing, I've discovered. Because I will want things suddenly and immediately all the time. And sometimes God in the waiting process was preparing me to handle the thing that he's getting ready to put in my life. When I do reflective thinking, I'm glad he didn't give me everything I asked when I was 21 and started preaching. I'm glad he didn't put me out there on the platforms I thought I was ready to be on at that time. I'm glad he didn't put me out there with people that I thought I needed to rub elbows with at that time. I'm glad that he said, slow down. I'm glad that he said, before you minister to adults, go down there and minister to these kids. 
And I'm glad my pastor told me, he said, listen, the Sunday school staff is ministering to kids every Sunday. Lafayette, every third Sunday is going to be your Sunday to minister to kids. And I said, but pastor, I want to preach to the adults. He said, if you can make a kid understand, you can make adults understand. If you can keep their attention, you'll learn how to keep adults' attention. Go down there. And I'm glad. And I had to get creative down there ministering to the kids. I remember one Sunday ministering on the power of the tongue. And I told Teresa, I said, how am I going to have them get this? And I went to the, I went to the store and bought a beef, big old beef tongue. Put it in a bag. Carried it up and set it on the table. And I said, I'm going to talk about the power of the tongue. And all the kids said, what's in the bag? I said, I'll tell you later on. And as I began to talk out of James about the tongue being a whirling evil. And they said, what's in the bag? And I said, there's a tongue in there. No, there's not. I said, yes, there is. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of the sermon, I reached down there and pulled out this tongue. And they said, ooh, ooh, can I touch it? Ooh, nasty, ooh. Friends, I'm glad that God didn't answer all the prayers that I prayed to him of places I thought I needed to be right now and give him every give me everything that I thought I needed right now. Then glad he didn't give me the cars that I wanted when I thought I needed them. I might be on the side of a guardrail somewhere right now because I had speed in my blood and I wanted to drive fast. And friends, sometime. When God has been patient and enduring with us in bringing our answer to our prayer, we weary God because we say, God, this isn't right. I think we need to have a confidence that God is a just God and he will do right by his people. Listen, look in Psalm 37 because there's a little psalm that has helped me for those of you who are patiently waiting on your promise to come to pass. Because they have wore God out saying, God, you're not right. You said you were going to do this. And it seems like it's taking all day. And how long does it really take? And watch what he says here in Psalm 37. We've read an Old Testament and a New Testament reflective scripture each night. And it says in Psalm 37, watch this now. Do not fret yourself because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Instead of envying evil workers and believing that God is unjust and threatening because of evildoers, he says, instead, trust in the Lord. Do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If you'll just stay pliable with him, if you'll just keep walking with him, he'll 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 do that. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as a new day. I found out that if I wait on the Lord and every one of God's promises is received by faith and patience, I have to on one side hold on in faith and believe God for what I cannot see. And on the other side, I also have to stand and endure a thing called time. You see, I've discovered that God is eternal. But I've also discovered that when I pray, he sends my prayer immediately. But sometimes it has to fight through some stuff to get into this natural realm. And they were saying that God's favor, the wicked, and he had no respect for those that really served him. And God says, you're wearing me. I've discovered that when you and I have to wait on God for a long time, hear me now. 
It can impact our worship experience, and that's what the Malachi is after, because hopelessness begins to set in. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sorrowful. And friends, hope deferred can cause us to be disappointed, and disappointment is an emotion that I feel when, uh, when, when my expectations are not met immediately. Hope, uh, disappointment is of emotion that we feel when our expectation is not met. And hear me, the higher the expectation, the deeper the disappointment. If I stay in disappointment long enough, it can turn into despair and then into disillusionment. And it can even become a depression. And Israel was questioning the way that God was doing things in their life. You see, God then says, listen, Uh, they were saying that there is no hope, that you're not a God of justice. And our hope has been in vain. I want to encourage you today that you should never lose hope in the justice of God because the God of heaven and of earth, he will do right. The God of heaven and of earth, he will do right. It may look like this thing has been a long continuance, but he will do right. So God comes to his people and he begins to warn them. He says, listen. He says, I will send my messenger in verse chapter three, verse number one, and he will prepare the way before you and the Lord whom you seek. And suddenly chapter three, one, he says he will come. Listen, when God breaks forth and brings your promise, it's almost going to be like it just suddenly happened. But it took a long time. Many times when people look at our church in in Columbus, Ohio, and I meet with pastors in a pastor's group and they say, well, you don't have to put up with this because you have a big church. I say, listen, we weren't big when we started. We were seven people around the table, my wife and myself. Bill and Judy Dotson. Listen, we had uh, Lonnie Keels and C. McMullen and Jackie Fickling and, and Sandra Moore. You know, these 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 four women and, and, and a couple, uh, a couple beside my wife and myself. I said, we weren't big when we started. I said, so you can't judge where we are now. And I said, and you think that all of this happened? I said, man, we've been at this 32 years. And I said, it hasn't been that explosive growth. I said, but there's always somebody getting born again. When it comes time to baptize folks, somebody's always getting in the water. I said, God's been faithful. And that's what we have to rely on and hope. We have to say great is his faithfulness, man. Somebody's still coming. Somebody said, well, have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever want to quit? I said, the Sunday I show up and nobody's there. That's when we quit. I said, but when somebody still comes to that door, I'm going to preach. I said, as long as somebody comes down for an altar call, I'm still going to proclaim his word. As long as somebody's still getting in the water, being filled with the Holy Ghost, coming for prayer, there's still ministry to be done. And friends, sometimes it looks like something happened immediately, but many times people, they see the glory, but they don't know the story. They don't know all the blood, sweat, and tears. They don't know the fasting and the prayer. And sometimes we have to patiently wait for God to bring it to pass. But don't wear out God with accusations saying that you're not fair. You did it fast for them, but it's taken slow for me. A prophetic word came over my life years ago that said, Lafayette, what he has called you to do may take you longer and cost you more than some of your peers because of what he has called you to do. And sometimes because of your assignment, it may take you longer and it may cost you more than some of your peers. Kenneth Hagin Sr. preached a long time before there was a Rhema Bible training center. Or Roberts preached a long time before there was the Oral Roberts University. There's a whole lot of folks. John Wesley and his brother went on a missionary tour. It was a miserable failure before they had good success. Moses was ministering a long time before he came to the borders of the land of the promised land. 
And friends, sometimes God is not interested in the instant. He's interested in building in you a thing called faith, you and I a thing called faithfulness, which is constant. And he's a constant God. And we cannot lose hope. And friends, you and I, we have to resolve that if I trust in the Lord at the end of the day, everything's going to be all right. You see, it's going to be all right. You see, I know that at the end of the day. And sometimes you're on an adventure and it doesn't look like it's going to be anything but all right, but it will. One of the things that I do is uh, my wife and I, a couple of times a year, we'll go out to a movie theater. Most of the time we watch stuff on television and on Netflix or something like that at home. But every now and then, the saints will persuade us to go out to a theater. And whenever we go out to a theater, theater, it's just one of those wild times because we have different tastes in movies. You see, I like action adventures. I want something that's going to thrill you. Take you on a ride. I want something that's going to take you to the edge. I want somebody to be chased. I want something to blow up. I want something to fall down. I don't mind a few bullets flying. I want somebody to take me. No, I don't want somebody just to be taken to the edge of the cliff. Throw them off. And let's see what happens. My wife, she likes those chick flicks that are tear jerkers. She likes those movies that are going to hit you right in the emotion. And she can pick them too. I mean, one day she picks a movie. I mean, we went to go see a movie and, and, and the man that I am, the mighty man of God, I had to take off my glasses. I was feeling a little moist up in there, you know? Oh, she can pick them. She can pick them. And when we go to see movies, she says, she says, listen, she said, she said, now I know you're going to have me watching that stuff that's on a roller coaster. And I said, that's right. I want to see a movie that we go tick, 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 tick up to the top of the hill and it slams you down to the bottom and takes you to the right and around the bend and then over some humps and around the loop, the loop and then come in. She says, we're going to see your movie first. And I said, why we always got to see my movie first? She said, because at the end of the day, I need to know everything's going to be all right. And see, when you walk by faith and faith is a substance of things hoped for, that's the way the walk of faith is. Sometimes the walk of faith will take you up tick, 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 promise, promise, promise. And then all of a sudden you're walking in faith and it slams you down to the bottom and throws you this way and throws you that way. And then you go over this and then you go around the loop and you come in for it. But you need to hold on to hope in the midst of the ride because at the end of the day, everything's going to be all right. Would you witness to your neighbor say at the end of the day? Everything's going to be all right. Yeah, sometimes when you get that bad diagnosis or prognosis or something like that, at the end of the day, everything's going to be all right. He's going to work all things together for your good. I'm giving you a word of hope. To those that love God and are called according to his purpose, I'm confident of this very thing, that he that begun a good work in you, shall perform it right up until the day of Christ. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to bring it to pass. He will not come short on his word. And friends, they were wearing God because they forgot to keep this. And God said, I'm going to send my messenger to you. And why the messenger? Because when he finds his people losing hope, 
God always sends his messenger to rekindle hope. He said, I'm going to send my messenger. He never leaves us without a prophetic word. And sometimes he will send prophetic confirmation to let you know that you're on the path. Sometimes he'll let send prophetic confirmation to let you know, hey, you're doing what I told you to do. Though this thing tarries, hold on, it shall come to pass. Take the vision, write it down, make it plain so that even those that are coming to help you may run with the thing. So God begins to warn his people that I'm sending my messenger and he shall come. Now, it's kind of interesting that when the messenger comes, even the messenger of the covenant, when he comes, the question then asks in verse number two, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Lord, help us now. I don't want to even read this one now, but it's there. So let's deal with it. It says he is like a refiner's fire, a foolish soap. He will set as a refiner and as a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Those are those that are joined to us in worship. The Levites were joined together to the priest. And he says, and he will purge them as gold and as silver that they may offer to the Lord a righteous offering in chapter one, verse number 11, we saw that he wanted a pure offering. And now he says, I want a righteous offering from you in this verse. And in one eleven, pure incense going to God in chapter three, verse three, now a righteous offering coming unto God and God is committed to purify us. I believe that one of the things that he does while we're waiting on our hope to come, he purifies us to receive the promise. He purifies our motives. He purifies our attitudes. He purifies our perspective. Because you see, ultimately, when we achieve anything in God, he wants to get the glory, not us. And sometimes for some of us who have maybe not had a lot of achievement and some of us who crave attention, we would be tempted unless we go through this purging and purifying process to take the credit for what God has done. And so you know what he does? He prepares a furnace for us. A New Testament reflection on this is Matthew chapter 3. And if you turn over the book of Matthew, right next door to Malachi, they're neighbors, they live together. And in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, the ministry of John the Baptist, this messenger that does come. And it's interesting, God said, I'm going to send a messenger. And he mentions this again in Malachi 4. And... uh, And it took 400 years for the messenger to come. And and sometimes I say, God, you live in a realm that's eternal, that's timeless, but we live in time. It took 400 years for the messenger to come. And he said, I'm going to send him and he's going to come suddenly. Suddenly to God is 400 years. (laughs) He weighs time differently than we do. And in Matthew chapter 3, 11, when the messenger comes, he says, I will baptize. He's talking about one. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that is coming after me is mightier than I. Uh, he says, whose uh, sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What is a fire? Is a fire uh, uncontrolled emotion and sentiment? No, the fire is described in verse number 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up 
the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Our God not only has a fire, he is a consuming fire, says Hebrews chapter 12. And you know what God is, uh, is uh, committed to do? He's committed to burn up everything inside of us that doesn't look like him. He's going to turn up the fire. I believe that we have to come through the waters and through the fire. And the fire is for one purpose, and that's to purge us. There are several movies that have been done and several examples that have been done on a crucible. And a crucible is a vessel that holds precious metal. You put the metal inside the crucible and then you put the crucible in the fire. When the crucible goes in the fire, it takes a little while for the fire to melt everything down. And the fire does something to gold and the silver and the precious metal that nothing else can do to it. It brings it to the place that it can be pliable and made into what the refiner wants it to be. Sometimes God permits us to go through some circumstances in life that I call the fire of God to melt us down so that we can't keep it together. That we can't hold it together so that we can be made pliable so that he can make us what we want to be. Now, I wish I could just confess and say that I am and I become. But God said, between your confession and your becoming, there's a thing called a furnace. Look at your neighbor and say, there is a furnace. And what I found from the Hebrew boys is you need to learn how to walk or dance in the flames. You need to learn how to walk around or dance in the flames. And sometimes when I watch people doing spontaneous dances between uh, in front of the Lord and before the Lord. I know that they're in fire right now. They're dancing their way through. And friends, the flames is to melt us down. Listen, it melts it down. And what the lauder soap is, is a substance is put into that precious metal because really precious metal in its raw state has some mixture. There's some dirt, there's some debris, but there's also the precious metal that has value. And melting it down and throwing in the lauder soap Helps the impurities to float to the top. Now, sometimes the metal itself doesn't know that it has impurities inside of it. But the heat brings it to the top. When I was in Israel and had a chance to visit the Beers Diamonds, even they told us when a diamond is taken out of the ground and searched for, it has kind of a milky look. So they told me that they have to drop it into sulfuric acid for purity's sake. That acid heats it up and causes the impurities to be revealed and then released. With metal, it's melting it down. And the refiner would then see those things come to the top and he'll take and he'll take and he'll take off the dross and remove it to the side. Sometimes this process is repeated because you think you got it all. So you let it cool down and then you heat it back up and some more comes to the top. And if some of you have been involved in circumstances in your life, a condition is when one time event hits your life uh, or an event is when a one time trauma hits your life. But a circumstance is when that thing comes around again. And sometimes we come through something, but we don't come through all the way. The way we should have. So God says you did good. But I know that you can do better than that. So he makes us go through it again. Now listen. God never puts you through a test. Unless he knows that you have all the information to pass the test. But sometimes we go through it not unscathed. 
and God has to put us through the fire again. When those impurities come forth and sometimes even seven times they are tried by fire. When the finally the refiner looks into this vessel, this crucible, when he sees a reflection of himself, he knows that this thing has been purged. When God can look into our lives and see a reflection of himself. The flesh is gone. Bad motivations are gone. Fleshly responses are gone. And we're just there saying, God, turn it up. I was in a conference one time. It was called a fire conference. They were saying, send the fire, send the fire. Took one of my elders with me. So he brought some of those send the fire songs home. And one Sunday night, we sang fire song after fire song after fire song. Teresa, do you remember that Dexter Coleman? And he was talking about send the fire. And while he was talking about send the fire, we didn't know his stove blew up and his house caught on fire. I still believe you need to watch what you say. <laughs> Came home from church, fire engines, everybody there at the house. And he said, I didn't want it like that. I said, God knew what you needed, brother. <laughs> but he's going to come like a refiner's fire. And he's committed to look in our lives. And when he can see Jesus, he'll refine. Sometimes he refines our worship departments. And he refines it and there's a purging and there's a fire that goes on where he just burns out some things because he said, I want to see myself in your worship. Sometimes he refines our, our service departments like our ushers and our parking lot attendants and he burns off some things because he said, I want to see myself in people that serve from the parking lot to the platform. Sometimes he'll refine our Sunday school and our educational and our discipleship processes because he said, I'm not seeing me, I'm seeing you. And he needs to burn some of that out. And we get to the place where we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And Paul had to go through this refiner fire. We said, man, listen, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, touching the law, blameless. He said, but all that stuff I count as dung, rubbish. That I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which is through faith. And we have to go through the fire. Sometime I've asked the Lord when I've been in the flames, how long is this going to last until I see Jesus? There are some things that I cook that take a few moments when I put my spices on a piece of salmon and put it in the oven and turn it up to 350. It only takes 15, 20 minutes so it's not all dry but done. 15 minutes for a piece of salmon. But when I want to take a big boneless beef rib and make prime rib, it has to cook low and slow. I turn it to 225, put all of my spices on it, and six hours later, the prime rib comes out. Some things have to stay in the oven a long time. For it to be done the way if you cook it too fast, it'll be tough when you eat it, but low and slow. Let it happen. It's tender. When you put it on your forehead, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. (laughs) 
low and slow. And that heat just works on it and works in it and works on it until the thing is done. And that's the way the fire is. The fire also has another component because God wants to bring out these vessels of honor that are pure. When I was in Zimbabwe the first time, I went from Zimbabwe to South Africa. And in South Africa, I had a chance to go to a rural village. And um, they were making pottery in this village with an old oven. And uh, when they were making the pottery with this old oven, they would actually make these potteries out of clay that had been collected in the region. They would shape it and they would take a, uh, uh, a pad and put the vessel on that and just stick it in the oven. And I would watch that fire and go around, do the tour and come back. And they say, look in there now. And you would see that pot turn red. Keep putting it in the wood. Keep the fire up hot. And I said, well, I said, in modern ovens, of course, they close a door and they have gauges on it and timers on it. I said, on this rule oven, how do you know that the pottery's done? And he says, we know that it needs to cook for a while. They said, and when we bring it out, you see this stick right here? They said, we hit the pottery with this stick. And here's what the man said. And if it rings, we know it's done. But if it clunks, we know it's not done. And we put it back in the fire. When you're in the oven and God brings you out to check you. And he touches your life. Do you ring or do you clunk? If you ring, we know you're done and we can bring you out of the furnace. If you clunk, we put you back in. You see, some people are in the furnace and when you bring them out and God touches you, no, God, this ain't right. This is what Israel was doing. This ain't right. You see, Sister Smith, she don't have time come to church. She never goes to this stuff. And that other brother, he don't even tithe. And this one, he don't even read his Bible. God said, that's a clunk. Put him back in the oven. God lets us cook. And sometimes he'll pull us out and say, God, why are you doing this to me? I go to faith Christians and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I speak in tongues. And man, there's those Catholics over there and those Episcopalians over there and those Presbyterians and Baptists. I'll put you back in there. But if, <laughs> but if he can bring you out and you come out and say, God, I love you. I adore you. I worship you, Lord. He said, okay, okay. And friends, our attitude going through the process is important. It's like a refiner's fire. And he has committed to purify the sons of Levi. Now listen, Levi was a tribe that was joined to the priest. Everybody that serves in any capacity in your church, whether you're at Faith Christian Center or one of the visiting churches, if you serve in any capacity in the church, stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet if you serve in any capacity in the church. You see, that should be about 50 to 60 percent of the people in your church. If you serve in any capacity, you can find a tangible place of service. Good. Look at all these people standing. You would be called the Levitical ministry because you're joined together with the priest. I don't care what you do. It might be standing at the door. It may be security. That, that's your Levitical ministry. And God's committed to purify you first. You become the first fruits. Because see, the rest of the people, they're going to take their lead from you. And so he's committed to purify you. Now, he's going to purify everybody, but you can't clunk about them. He's comm- you're going to be the first fruits. And, and people are going to watch the way you go through. They're going to observe the way you go through. 
See, it's easy to go through when everything's going right and promises are coming on the right hand and on the left and all that. But what happens when you come under the pressure? You become an example to those that are there. You become an example for those that are coming behind you. Become an example to some of those that may not be veterans who haven't been around this thing a while. And God is committed, committed to purify the sons of Levi. Levi means join ones. When you join yourself to any leader, any visionary leader in your service to the Lord, God says, I will purify you. And when he's purifying you, friends, just make sure that you just endure the process. What I've learned to do is get myself some good friends around me. I tell some of my friends, they say, how's it going today? I said, I'm blessed and highly favored, but pray for me. That's the signal. Pray for me. Church of God in Christ, for some of you came from that background, they used to say, pray my strength in the Lord. And I didn't know what all that meant, but sometimes you need the strength of God, not the power of God. The power of God will bring you out of Egypt, but the strength of God will bring you through the wilderness and through the testing. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's committed to purify. You may be seated now. Go ahead, sit down. That's not to slight all of those that were seated, but he's, he's committed to purify us. It says after the process, after he purifies us, after we come through the furnace, his fan is in his hand and he thoroughly purges the threshing floor. This was a purging that happened with grain with John the Baptist. And when the harvest came in, there would be a mixture of, of, a, of, a, of, of, a, of a grain and shaft. And shaft was like the stems and the, and, 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 and the seed and the husk that came off. And it would be all mixed there on the threshing floor. And what would happen, they'd wait for a big stiff wind to come and they would throw it up in the air. And chaff, because it was real lightweight, it would blow away. But the grain that had weight would fall back to the ground. And they'd just keep throwing it up in the air. And it'd fall to the ground and throw it up in the air and fall to the ground and throw it up in the air and fall to the ground. And finally, the threshing floor was purged. Sometime in our faith, we may be up and down. And I know there are those when you hear their glory testimony. I was up all the time. I was confessing God and all that. Yeah, okay. But sometime, man, we was frustrated. And God said, I'm going to burn that frustrate out of you. Frustration is an emotion we feel when our purpose is being detoured. When I know that I have purpose, I know my why in life. And it seems like every time I'm moving towards my purpose, my why in life, why I exist, it seems like there's a roadblock. And I experience a thing called frustration. If you and I don't learn how to deal with our frustration, we'll wind up like Moses because Moses got frustrated with the people. And many times he would fuss at them and sometimes Moses would get frustrated with God. And see, God says, listen, Moses, you can get frustrated with people, but when you get frustrated with me and when you get frustrated with me, because the first time I told you to speak to the rock or to hit the rock and water came out of it. But the next time I told you to speak to the rock and you're so frustrated with the people that you strike the rock and really that rock that was following them was Christ. He said, when you strike out at me, man, you could be disqualified. I got to learn how to deal with my frustration so I never get frustrated with God. I know he's there for my good. And see, when I have that confidence, no matter what my circumstances, conditions or events are, then a different kind of worship comes out of me. And this is what verse four says, then the offering of Judah three, four, it says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as of the days of old and as of former days. And you see, once our, once our worship becomes pure, then God can judge the other stuff that's there. 
Because once he gets his worshipers pure in his sight, he can come and he can judge the sorcerers. And those are all the people that are involved in the occult. Once he gets our worship pure and his people purified, he can come and judge the adulterer. And that's all in the morality. He can come and he can judge the perjurer. And those are people that just lie on God and lie about God's word and lie about God's people. Once he gets us set, he can come and he can deal with things like extortion and exploiting people because of wage and oppressing widows and orphans, which are justice issues. Once he gets us set, he can come and he can deal with the way that we treat internationals inside of our borders. And he said, I'll come and deal with them and I'll bring swift judgments because they did not fear me, says the Lord, because the Lord wants to see salvation and deliverance comes all of these. You see, he says, I am the Lord and I change not. And when he promises you something, he doesn't change. This is called the immutability of God. He's a changeless God. He does not change. He cannot change. He will not change. When he speaks of thing, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God made a promise to Jacob. He said, even though I'm taking you through this process, he says, I'm not going to renege on my promise. It says, yet from the days of old, he reviews their history. He says, of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And some of us have transgenerational history where our families have always strayed from the Lord. Start and then not end up there. And then God says this, hear his voice now tonight as we begin to bring this to a close. He says, listen, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you said, in which way can we return? God then asked the question, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you say, where did have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? I talked to one of the police officers. I have about three retired police officers in my congregation. And I said, uh, George, what's the difference between robbery and theft? Because I know John 10 then says a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundant. I said, what's the difference between theft and robbery? And he explained a whole lot of things like burglary, theft, breaking and entering, all those kind of things. He said, but Lafayette, the big overriding thing we understand as a police, you rob people personally. When I take your property in your face, that's called robbery. He said, but when I steal from you when you're not around, that's called theft. God doesn't say, will you be a thief to me? What he says is, will you come up in my face and take that which belongs to me? You can only rob God when you're face to face with him. And they say, well, where have we robbed you? When have we come face to face with you and taken that which is yours? And he says in tithes and in offerings, tithes and offerings, it's not just the tenth. A tithe is a tenth. That's by definition. But an offering is what you give over the top of that. And in the Old Testament, there was not only the tithe. Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, way before the law. But Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 were offerings that were offered to the Lord. The first one is a whole burnt offering. It was given voluntarily to the Lord. It wasn't given for any reason, not sin, not trespass or anything. It just was an offering that somebody just was walking by the tabernacle and said, you know what, I love the Lord. Let me go home and get a lamb and offer something to it. And you see, Leviticus chapter 1 is equal to uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is a reasonable service. And friends, it's tithes and offerings as what we offer as a requirement and as a standard of the Lord. And hear me now, our tithe is not just about money. It's, it's reviewing and renewing our covenant with God in every area of our life, every week of our life. 
when I first give my life to the Lord, I come to an altar and I stand at an altar and with a preacher praying for me most oft times, I give my life to the Lord. Usually somebody takes me out and prays with me and gets me established in the faith and shows me how to be disciple. Then I come back the next week. Well, how do I show the Lord I'm still in this thing? How do I give my life back to the Lord and show him that I'm still committed to this thing the next week? It's not about money, but I can't come to the altar every way every week and say I'm in again. Because people start wondering, well, I thought you got in last week. And I'll start wondering, well, do I have to do that every week? No. But you see, from the time I leave that prayer room, I go out in the world and I work all week long. And in our country, we are rewarded for our time and our life and our energy and our talent with money. This money, if you will, can represent my life, my time and my talent. And the tithe is not just money. How about a tithe of your time? There's 168 hours a week. Am I giving at least 16.8, if I want to just do the math, hours to the Lord every week in time and study and prayer and fellowship and service and in ministry? 16.8 hours just tithing my time, tithing my talent. God has given me all kind of great and precious gifts. He's given some of you the talent of technology, some of you the talent with your voice, some of you the talent of interacting with people. Am I not only using that for the marketplace, but am I sowing some of that into God's kingdom? And can, if I'm a business person, if I'm an attorney and I'm giving 60 hours to my business a week, can I take 16 hours and give it in service to somebody from the church? I have an international, a lady that is involved in international immigration law. She makes a good salary because there's a lot of immigrants trying to get their papers right. But she also told me, pastor, she said, some of the immigrants that come in are so poor they can't afford my service. So part of my tithes is to set aside a certain amount of hours in my practice to give it to them as an offering unto God. I have attorneys that are doing the same thing, doctors that are doing the same thing because they say God gave me the aptitude to get this degree and to have this practice. And I'm tying them. I have carpenters that do the same thing. I have an electrician that works up on those tall poles and he works for AEP in my city. And he said, and pastor, he said, when the saints call me, he says, some of them can pay me. And he said, and I appreciate that in my private business outside of AEP. He said, but some of the elderly can. And he said, and that's part of my tithe that I give back. He said, because I know I'm working big power boxes on the big power line. I can surely come into somebody's house and help them. And every time I put dollars, whether it's a tithe and an offering, into an offering bucket, it's just not me just throwing a check in there, throwing some of these guys in there. But friends, it's me putting my life back in there. And I think we not only ought to consider not only uh, the amount that we give, but the quality that we give, not just the quantity. You see, when I look at at money, it's kind of fascinating to me because when I look at money, I've discovered something here. I've discovered that uh, George Washington, he is saved because he goes to church all the time. <laughs> That's the one dollar bill. Everybody say, George is saved. George is saved. He good and saved. 
Pastor, I believe he got some, he got lots of oil on him. He's good and saved. Now, Hamilton on the $10, he need to get saved. See who else we got in here. All right, let's see here. Let's see here. Jackson, he's on $20 bill. He needs to get saved. There's a $50 bill. That's Grant. Look at your neighbor and say, bring Grant to church next week. (laughs) We got to get some of the rest of them boys saved. George is saved. One day there was a conference between the $1 bill and the $100 bill. And the $100 bill says, hey there, Mr. $1 bill. I've seen you for a long time. And the $1 bill said, I ain't seen you either. He said, where you been, man? $100 bill said, man, I've been staying at the Rich Carlton. He said, I've been driving around in limousines. I've been on cruises. He said, I've been staying in suites in the hotel on the concierge floor and in the club level floor. He said, I've been traveling in first class. He said, life is beautiful. He said, man, Mr. $1 bill, I ain't seen you in a long time. Where have you been? He said, going to church. (laughs) I think we need to rethink not only quantities, but quality. What are you bringing to the Lord? What's inside your capacity? Because sometimes inside of your capacity, inside of our capacity, I remember when a $1 was a sacrifice to me, but that's not the case anymore for me to continue with a $1. I remember when I was in some of those Pentecostal services, I used to sing in a gospel choir, and I was the chaplain of the James Cleveland Workshop Choir in our city. So we did these gospel concerts every Sunday afternoon. And I know we did those. They were going to take up five offerings. They're going to take up the opening consecrated offering. Then they're going to take up uh, the, the, the church offering. Then they're going to take up the offering for the expenses of the meeting. Then if there was a preacher, they're going to take up a love offering. And then they're going to take up a goodbye offering. One time they took up a change offering. Everybody want all the change in the house. And I knew that I was one. I wanted to give in all those offerings. So I had $5 bills. So I would go, we would stop by the store and get, break up that $5 bill. So we would have something to put in each one of those offerings, a dollar in each offering. But that was the best we could do. When I put that dollar in there, I knew that was milk. I knew that was gas. That was a sacrifice. Look at your neighbor and say, but I know you're doing better than that now. Look at him. Go ahead and tell him. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell him. I know you're doing better than that. Yeah, some of y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all scaring me again tonight. A lot of us are doing a lot better. The Lord has brought some of us from a mighty long way. And see, it's not that we don't have it because see, when Christmas time comes around, we buy PlayStation, PlayStation 6 and, you know, we're, the latest iPhone comes out and we got the, you know, iPhone, you know, four or five or six or the new iPad or the new smartphone or smarter than smartphone or very smartphone or more excellent smartphone. I mean, every new gadget that comes out, it seems like we have resource to do that. And yet God said, then why are you robbing me? It's not that we don't have it. We just choose to redistribute it to Apple or to Microsoft or to somebody else that has a 
next gadget and, and see what I'm putting my offering in. It's not just about money. The Lord doesn't even say you're robbing the church, you're robbing the preacher, you're robbing the temple. The Lord said you have robbed me. When I read that me, personal, God talking to me, I said, God, I want to be a God robber. I heard the Holy Spirit say one Sunday morning, he said, listen, the biggest robbery in your city takes place between 11 and 1 o'clock every Sunday morning. Never makes the news. But there's robbery going on. Between 11 and 1. And he said, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. I asked God to make me a generous giver. I said, God, do something in my heart so I'm not stingy. I said, God, make me generous. My wife's a giver. I'm a giver. I'll give away stuff that don't even belong to me. <laughs> My family has had to stop me for that. Yeah, because people come in the house. Oh, you like that? Take it. Tracy, you can't give away people's stuff that ain't yours. I'm just a giver like that. I'll give it all away. When people come to our house to eat, man. I have, a, I go to GFS and give me a box, a case of white boxes. Because after you eat your full, I say, get a white box. Take some of this out of here. I'm just a giver like that. And I ask God, make me a, a generous person. Because, see, I grew up poor. And, see, you don't have to be rich to be stingy. You can be poor. And then, and then you can just be a miser and a hoarder and a container. And, friends, I don't want to get all I can, can on our get and sit on the can. I want to be a distris- distributor of God's wealth. God said, when I'm not benevolent, listen, he says, you're cursed with a curse. And he said, and uh, he said, even the whole nation. And he says, then here's an exhortation in verse 10. And I know you've heard this and I'm getting ready to leave it now. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. King James has a lot of commas in this verse. New King James says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. King James has some words in italics that says, if I will not open you the window of heaven. What God says in King James, then it gives a sense that if you bring in the store, God's going to open you. And you're going to be able to peer into heaven and get witty ideals and inventions and wisdom. Because wisdoms aren't really the windows aren't really to throw stuff out of there to look through. And what would happen if God opened you and let you look into heaven and get a creative idea that you can trademark and make the next billion dollars for the kingdom of God? Wonder if God could open you and you opened up the wisdom and he gave you the next creative website that was going to make a billion dollars. Some people get together all the time, man, and God just downloads wisdom and they open up a website and they go global. That could be you. You could say, man, what if? And that what if can turn into a reality and through business and through international commerce, through the web and other devices, man. God can cause you to be a creative genius for the kingdom and the funding of the kingdom of God. And I'll pour out of such a blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it. And I were to rebuke the devourer for your sake. The tithe is a place of warfare because the devourer is coming after it. And also, uh, God wants it. Listen to me. The first temptation in the garden was to eat. But it was not only to eat. It was to keep and to take and the hold that which God put a prohibition in. God told Adam in that garden, you can eat everything in this garden, but don't touch that. When the enemy came, the first thing he talked about was that. There's a warfare over that. And God said, yes, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. 
He said, when those things come to eat up your seed, he said, I'm going to stand in front of you because you have brought your tithes and offerings. And I'm going to say, no, I'll rebuke the devour. All your stuff will be safe. When I dedicate homes in our church, I go in, and whether it's a used home or an old home, when I lay my hands on that property and I say, God, I say, I ask him, I say, are you a tither? Yes. Are you a giver? Yes. Then I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to stand in the place of God. And I'm telling you that everything in this house is going to last. God made a roof last longer than his warranty. God made a furnace last longer than his warranty. God made all these appliances outlast their warranty. I mean, when we had a furnace exchange in a house that we lived 27 years in, when we moved somebody else in, we finally had to have a furnace exchange. And they said, this is the original furnace that was put in this house. And we were not the original owners. But when I went through that house, I I anointed everything with oil. And God rebuked the devourer. Stuff far, my, my wife drives a 1993 Lincoln Town Car signature model. 93. People asked her, they said, your husband can afford to get you another car. Her car doesn't have no rust on it. Doesn't have any med- major medical problems. <laughs> the upholstery is still immaculate. We get a detail on it once a year. And they said, they said, why do you keep this car? She said, well, number one, it's the best car in the world. They said, well, why do you say that? She said, first of all, it's paid for. That's the best car in the world. 1993 and just turned over 100,000 miles on it. And it's immaculate. I like driving it myself. She likes lots of steel around her. I like SUVs. I like to be up high so I can run over stuff, you know. (laughs) So, So we have different tastes, but I just saw how God has just been faithful. Just been faithful. And rebuking the devour for our sake. And friends, I'm looking for verse 12 because verse 12 says, and you shall be called a delightful nation. I believe that we are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And I'll be glad when the people of God get into on the other side of this thing where people will look at us and say, them people down at Faith Christian Center, all of them are blessed. There are the lights on there. I want to get to the place, man. Wouldn't you love to be a church that gave away millions of dollars to missions? Millions of dollars to local and international and domestic missions. Wouldn't you like to be a person that contributed that somebody announces something and folks just fight over who's going to fund it right there? Because of the lights of land, says the Lord of hosts. He says, your words are harsh, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, I say unto you, you have spoken against me. And friends, sometimes we speak harsh words to the Lord and we think that God is not for us. He says, but listen, he says, even when you do that to me, he says, you'll be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. Don't speak harsh words against the Lord. He's on your side. From this text tonight, we have learned that they were complaining about the wicked. Don't look to the wicked. Look to God. It's through faith and patience you inherit the promise. And Pastor Ray, you can come. I want you to understand out of this test that God is committed that he's going to refine us and take all that complaining and murmuring out of our mouth. He's going to purify the sons of Levi. He's going to take all of that complaining and murmuring out of your mouth. I, I don't like complaining. Don't like to complain. I'll internalize a lot of complaints before I'll say it. That's just my personality. But some people verbalize it. And God said, whether it's internal or external, I'm going to purify you. Because he said, not only purify, but purge. Purify would be the stuff that comes on the outside. Purging would be the stuff that comes on the inside. And tonight, 
I really sensed as I was praying for our time together tonight as we minister. I really believe that God wants us to do some introspection as well as external inspection. And say, God, are there things in me that need to be purified from the outside? Are there things that are coming out of my mouth that have been complaints against you and complaints against your promises? And have I begun to slip over to doubting your promises that you're ever going to bring into pass? Am I losing hope? Am I getting into disappointment, despair, despondency? God, if so, would you purge and purify that out of my life? Purify it out of my life. Purify it out of my life. Because only the pure in heart shall see God. But there's another level that he says, I'm also going to purge you. And, and sometimes we have to ask the question, God, why do I keep doing this? And I found out that that's usually internal. But sometimes there's a manufacturing plant inside of us. I found out when I found myself being a little stingy, it was because I grew up poor. And when you grow up poor, there's never seems to be enough or an abundance of anything. So when you get something, there's a tendency to hold on to it because you remember former days and you remember, man, you better hold on to that because you never know what might happen. And sometimes God's telling you to sow and you say, but you better keep that, you know, because you never know what might happen. And sometimes we're afraid to pull the trigger and let it go. And I don't want to be afraid like that anymore. I remember one time, Teresa and I were in a Dr. Cole's meeting and uh, he was raising money for a building. We had just got through and eliminated a whole lot of debt and for the first time had a nest egg. Several thousand dollars in the bank. First time in our marriage. Oh man. I walked around and though nobody knew that we had it in the bank. You walk different when you have money. (laughs) Your attitude's a little bit different. You got a little something in your pocket, a little something in the bank. And man, I was just so rejoicing because I knew where we had come from. And Dr. Cole said, uh, I want everybody in here to pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to give. Because you see, I already made up in my mind what I wanted to give. He said, pray and ask the Lord what you're supposed to give. And that's dangerous because the Lord knows what you have. <laughs> you and I, we know what we want to give, but he knows what you have. It's one thing to give out of your abundance. It's another thing to give out of your need. So we prayed and after we prayed, he said, if your husband and wife join hands and pray. And he said, then talk to each other and come into agreement. And then he made this statement because a place of agreement is a place of power. So Teresa and I were there praying and I said, okay. I said, Teresa, what did God say to give? And she said, you tell me. I said, come on, girl, stop playing. What did God say to give? And she said, you the man. And I said, I heard God say, give everything in that savings account. And she said, oh, shoot. (laughs) She said, that's what he said. But you know what I found out? God loves a cheerful giver. I went out in the hallway, had my cell phone, transferred the money out of savings into the checking. Came back in, rewrote that check. And I don't know how God did it. But we left that place in such peace knowing we had been obedient to God and done what we could do. And over the next six weeks, this abundance of resources came in that so surpassed that money that was in that check. It just blew my mind. And I said, I like this. (laughs) He rebukes the vow for our sake. When he brings it back, he never just brings back what we sow, but always abundantly. And for me anymore, it's not about the abundance that comes. It's about just being pleasing to God. 
I said, God, I want to offer up an incense unto you. So I had to bring the death on the cross. And I said, God, I'm submitting to the fire of God. This whole thing of thinking that if I give, my need is not going to be met. I came from a poor background and God, I need to know you as my Jehovah Jireh. That if I give it, you're going to take care of me. And God had to bring me through the fire and burn off that, what I now call a poverty mentality. Always thinking if I give it, I'm not going to have enough. If I give it, there's not going to be the family taking care of the bills. Not going to get. I had said, God burn that off of me. He so burned that thing off of me that my sons and daughters now, I mean, they're not afraid to come and ask us for anything, Pastor John, and any amount. And when we had a family meeting, they're in their 30s now, 30, 33, 36. And, and they look at us sometime and they say, listen, y'all are really rich. You just don't want nobody to know it. Because <laughs> my attitude and my demeanor is so changed. And that's what they say. They say, y'all really rich. You just don't want nobody to know. But we know. I said, what do you know? We know y'all got money. And whether we do or don't, I just don't mind them thinking that. I'd rather let people think that I'm wealthy than every time I walk up on them, they think I'm walking up trying to get something from them. You know what? I've seen God educate and increase not only in a financial way, but give me rich relationships. I'm not only rich, but I'm rich in relationships. I can build relationship with folk not wanting anything from them. I'm not trying to get my hand in your pocket. I want to relate to Pastor Cabral and Pastor Peg and Pastor Ray and Pastor John just for relationship, for the kingdom's sake. Don't want anything from you. Just for the kingdom advancement. That's why I want to have these relationships. Because God burns something out of me that every relationship I don't see dollar signs. on, So I don't measure my friends based on their economic capacity. This is my friend. Not my rich friends, not my millionaire friends. This is my friend. Because I just got to burn all of that out of me. Because I want every connection I make relationally to be pure. Not for what can I get out of it. And friends, God can bring us through and he can purge us. And he had to purge me of some stuff. And so whether it's cleansing, some stuff on the outside, words that have been spoken, spend a few moments with the Lord. And if it's more deep-seated, if it's internal, and you say, God, you need to do something in me, ask him to purge. And uh, at our church, we do a thing every now and then just called waiting on the Lord. We let our musicians minister and, and, and the team kind of minister to the Lord, let you have a reflective moment to the Lord, and then I'll pray in Jesus' name. Let's do that for a moment. Father, minister your grace to us. Change our hearts, O oh Lord. Make them ever true. Change your hearts, oh God. May I be like you.
are the potter, Lord God. I am the potter, you are the you are the potter, I am the clay. You are the potter, I am the clay. Make me and mold me. Father, do light out of this sanctuary like a refiner's fire, like one with the fuller soap you come to us. And Father, you have said that you would purify the sons of Levi and you'd also purge us. So Father, purify our words. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, purge our mouth, purge our mouth from complaining and murmuring especially against you and against your purposes and against your plan and especially against your timing. Forgive us for a murmuring spirit. And we, we choose tonight to shake off a spirit of complaining and put on a spirit of thanksgiving for pleasant and pure worship coming out of our mouth. Purify us, O Lord, if only the pure in heart shall see God. And God, tonight also we pray in Jesus' name that you would purge us because some of us know that there's some internal workings father inside of us some of us have never really shaken off and dealt with our poverty mentality just always afraid that if i do more there won't be enough for me or for my family oh god break that off our minds break the chains of slavery off our minds break the chains of not enough just enough and transform our minds to minds that you are a god of abundance a god of more than enough God, that when we sow, we'll always have our need met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Father, let every...